You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. This evening we're going to be talking about the the concept of the eternal unfolding plan of God, and we're going to look at two primary scriptures, but before we even get into the scriptures that we're going to look at together, I want to share with you a story. And uh, it's a story about a, a family that lived in kind of a rural area, and the story goes like this. There was once a man who didn't believe in God, and he didn't hesitate to let others know uh, how he felt about religion and about religious holidays. His wife, however, did believe. She raised their children to also have faith in the Lord despite his frequent disparaging comments. One snowy eve, his wife was taking their children to a, a church service in the farm community in which they lived, and the message that evening was going to focus on Jesus' birth. She asked him to come, but he refused. And this is what he said, that story is nonsense. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. So she and the children left and he stayed home. A while later, the winds grew stronger and the snow turned into a blizzard. And as the man looked out the window, all he saw was a blinding snowstorm. He sat down to relax before the fire for the evening and then he heard a loud thump. Something had hit the window. He looked out, but he couldn't see more than just a few feet. When the snow let up a little, he ventured outside to see what possibly was beating on the window. And in the field near his house, he saw a flock of wild geese. And apparently they'd been flying south for the winter when they got caught in the snowstorm and couldn't go on. They were lost. They were stranded on his farm. They had no food. They had no shelter. They just flapped their wings and flew around the field in low circles blindlessly and aimlessly, and a couple of them had flown into his window, it seemed. The man felt sorry for the geese, and he wanted to help them out. The barn, he thought, would be a great place for them to stay. He said, you know, it's warm, it's safe. Surely they could spend the night and they could wait out the storm if I could, if I could just get them into the barn. So he walked over to the barn and he opened the doors wide. And then he watched and he waited, hoping that they would notice that he opened the barn and that they would then go inside. But the geese just fluttered around aimlessly and didn't seem to notice the barn and didn't seem to realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and came out with some bread, and then he broke it up. And he made a breadcrumb trail that led to the barn, but they still didn't catch on. And so now he was getting frustrated. So he got behind them, and he tried to shoo them toward the barn, But they only got more scared and scattered in every direction except toward the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they would be warm and safe. Why won't they follow me, he exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? He thought for a moment and then realized they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. And he said it out loud. And then he had an idea. He went into his barn, and he got one of his own geese, and he carried it in his arms as he circled behind the flock of wild geese, and then he released it. 
And his goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and then one by one the other geese followed it to safety. And he stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind, if only I were a goose, then I could save them. And then he thought about what he had said to his wife earlier that evening. Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. And suddenly it all made sense. That's what God had done. We were like the geese, blind, lost, perishing, and God had his son become like us so that he he could show us the way and save us. I came across that story recently, and I wanted to share it with us this evening as we prepare our hearts to take a look at God's Word together, because it demonstrates in a very contemporary example the eternal unfolding plan of God as the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and took on flesh and did so so that ultimately you and I could be rescued, so that ultimately you and I could be saved from the the fate that ultimately we were doomed to experience if he didn't intervene. This evening in our our brief time together, I'm going to show us a few things related to the plan of God as it's explained to us in Scripture and as it's given given to us through the example of some Scriptures that, that may be familiar to you or may not be familiar to you. But even if they're unfamiliar to you, I certainly hope that they'll still be encouraging to you. So before we take a look at some of these things together, let me have a word of prayer for us. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to gather together this evening. Lord, I thank you for every adult and every child gathered together in this room. It's a unique time. Oftentimes throughout the year, we we separate into different spaces, the adults here and the children downstairs, but tonight we get to worship together. And Lord, that's special. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of every adult and speak to the hearts of every child. We're just thankful, Lord, for this special time that we have the opportunity to focus on the work that your son Jesus Christ accomplished when he came to this earth and took on flesh. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time to be able to think about your plan and how it all unfolds. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the portion of Scripture we're going to start with this evening is from Luke chapter 1. And I'm just going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 1, a piece at a time as we work our way through it. But one of the things that in Luke chapter 1 we're reminded of is the fact that God has a plan, but we don't need to fear it. Don't fear the plan of God. Let me read for us from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 30 and then verse 31. It says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's a beautiful portion of Scripture and certainly something that we think a lot about at this time of year as we see what the Lord was doing in Mary's life and through Mary's life as she was being informed about what was going to take place uh, in short order. And when you look at this portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 1, and you see Mary being told that she's found favor with God, that she's going to conceive a child in her womb and bear a son, scholars believe that Mary was very likely very young when this took place. And if you look at what some of the scholars say, some say she was 15. There are others that say she may have been as young as 13. We don't know her exact age. Either way, we just know that she was rather young. And the angel appeared to her at that season 
of her life. And God was about to show his favor in a very special way to Mary, who from our perspective, we would look at and we would say, all right, she's still a child. She's just a child. But even in her, in her culture, even at her, at her very young age, she was considered old enough to marry, and we, we were told that she was betrothed to Joseph, which was a legally binding form of engagement. And the scripture tells us that the angel Gabriel, and by the way, this is the same angel that appeared to the prophet Daniel 500 years earlier, that angel came to her and bore a message. He had something that he wanted her to know. He was about to share God's plan of salvation with Mary. He was going to tell her how God intended to include her in his plan. But before those details were given, Gabriel encouraged her not to be afraid. And it's interesting, uh, recently some of us were studying the book of Daniel together, and we were looking at that passage where Gabriel spoke to Daniel, the very same Gabriel who's speaking to, to Mary in this portion of Scripture. And I'll tell you something that you will notice if you... If you go through the Bible and you observe the interactions that angels have with human beings, when they interact with man, they frequently begin their conversation by saying something to the effect of, don't be afraid, or fear not, or don't fear, because people are obviously terrified when they happen to see them. And so you have this angel appearing to young Mary, and he tells her, do not be afraid. And the message God was sending to Mary was something special. But here's the thing. It isn't any different from what he's telling us as well. He's telling us not to be afraid of what we don't know. He's telling us not to be afraid of what we can't control because he knows all things. He has all things planned out for his glory and our good. And he's got our lives and the lives of those that we love completely under his control. And great evidence can be seen in the angel's message to Mary that illustrates that very fact. He was able to tell Mary exactly what was about to happen and what the eternal ramifications of that activity would be. She would miraculously conceive a son. He would be called Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. So even just by his name, his name would be a proclamation of what God was seeking to do. Yahweh saves. God saves. His true identity would be the Son of God and his kingdom would have no end. But if your personality is anything like mine, you like making plans. And you like when your plans come together in accordance with your preferences. You know what I've discovered about myself? I don't mind surprising other people, but I kind of hate being surprised. And I hated when I had to admit that about myself. I was like, you know, I always thought I'd be one of those people that was maybe a little bit more fun than that, that I'd be like, oh, I love surprises. Nope, I just don't. I think I'm at that season of life where I'm just going to admit stuff to myself that I don't want to admit. You know, it's like, all right, I don't like being surprised. And here's the thing. Frequently throughout the course of my life, in my interactions with God and in my observation of what he's doing in my day-to-day life, my life has been filled with surprises. It's been filled with all sorts of things that I had thought through and I had planned out and I thought we're going to be exactly a certain way. And some of those things came to pass, and most of them didn't. How many of you are living in the midst of all sorts of surprises that God has brought into your life that you did not expect? And you know what I think is going to be the case for each of us, especially when that day comes back and we have the opportunity to look back at our life in its totality? We're going to look back at it, we're going to say, I wouldn't change any of it. Even the low moments, I wouldn't change any of it. 
because it was obviously all part of a divinely orchestrated plan, and God wasn't wasting a minute of it. And here you have the angel looking at Mary, and he's saying, listen, first of all, I know you're scared to death to see me, and I know you don't understand the things that I'm about to tell you, but I'm telling you this, God has a plan, you're part of it, and you don't need to be afraid of what's coming next. It's all going to work out. And again, I think that's the same message that the Lord wants your heart and my heart to hear as well. He has a plan, you're part of it, and you don't need to be afraid of it. But the Scripture goes on, and it gives us Mary's response to the angel. And as you look at this, I think a theme here that we could pull from this is this idea of don't be too surprised when God's plan seems impossible to carry out. You know, God has plans, and they sometimes seem impossible to carry out. But in Luke one thirty four, it says this, And Mary said to the angel, she gives her response, and she says, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And I don't know what inflection she used in her voice as she said that. I don't know exactly, you know, if she came across as curious or questioning. But it says, How will this be? She said, How will this be to the angel? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, I don't know about you, but do you ever have a conversation with someone and you felt a little nervous in the midst of the conversation? Could you imagine carrying on a conversation with an angel? Be like, thank you for making your point, Gabriel. Just a follow-up with that, if I may. I don't know how I'd get, I don't know that I'd be able to get words out. And you have Mary here saying, how will this be? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, it's fair to assume at this point that Mary probably did not understand the significance of why the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was going to come to this earth and take on flesh. And when we celebrate Christmas, what we're doing is we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came to this earth and took on flesh. It's called His incarnation. It's the technical term for Him coming to this earth and taking on flesh. And I also don't believe that Mary probably understood the significance of why the Messiah, as He came to this earth and took on flesh, also had to be born of a virgin, because she asks this question, how can this be since I am a virgin? And maybe that's something that you've been thinking about as well. What's the significance of this? Why does this matter? We actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning. But basically, the summary of it is this. If you look at the totality of Scripture, if you go all the way back to the beginning, you see an unfolding story of God's plan for humanity. And when God created mankind, one of the things you discover is that He created us perfect. We were absolutely perfect. He made Adam, and then from Adam, he made Eve. So all of us can trace our physical ancestry right back to Adam. And initially, there was no sin. There was no rebellion against God. Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. But then they both sinned against God. And specifically, when Adam sinned against God, he wasn't the only one affected by that decision. Scripture tells us that in that moment, he came under the curse of sin And from then on had a sinful nature, which which was then passed to all his offspring. And it's believed by many theologians that that the sin nature is passed along to children through the father. So it's passed from Adam on down, on down, on down, and Merry Christmas, that's what you ended up with, right? And if that's the case, which I believe that that is the case, we can see why Christ was born of a virgin without a human father. He was born among us to live a sinless life. So he would need to be born, obviously, as God in the flesh, without a sin nature. But if the sin nature is passed down through the Father, he would need to be born without a human father for that to be the case. And he was born among us to live a sinless life. 
and then pay for our sin. But again, how could he take our place on the cross if he also had a sin nature of his own to atone for? So Christ was born without a sin nature to atone for the sin of Adam's race. And likewise, Scripture reveals to us that Christ was born of a virgin to serve as a sign from God to us, that this wasn't just a natural birth. There was more to this. There were supernatural components that were taking place here. God was using this miraculous event to confirm to the world that He had not forgotten us. In fact, in the Old Testament Scriptures, it revealed to us that the Messiah would be born in this manner. And God was interjecting Himself into the human race like only God can do to display that He is Emmanuel. Now, you've heard that term as a reference to Christ. It's a a term that's given to the name of, of, of the Messiah, Emmanuel, and it means God with us. That's what God was demonstrating in the incarnation of Christ, that He's right here with us. Sometimes people like to think about God as being at a, distant, a distance from us. I think a lot of times when people envision God, they envision Him far, far away up in the sky. And maybe at some point in your life, that's how you thought of God as well. But Scripture makes it clear that God is omnipresent. And he's also caring and involved in the lives of those he's created. He's God with us. He's not God at a distance. He's God right here in our presence. And so Mary was looking at these things, and she's wondering how this is all going to take place. How how am I supposed to have this baby? I'm a virgin. It doesn't make sense. I, I don't understand. But I think one of the things we could take from this is, look, don't, don't be too surprised when God's plan seems impossible to carry out. And here's the thing. I think most of the, the, the miraculous and important things that God's accomplished throughout the course of human history, when you look at it, they all seemed impossible to carry out. And frankly, I imagine that there's probably something in your life that you have been tempted to lose faith regarding. Because you're looking at it and you're saying, you know what, that situation is too far gone for God to intervene. Or maybe you think of yourself, I am too far gone for God to intervene. I'm just at a distance from God. He doesn't desire to be part of my life. He doesn't desire to be in the midst of my situation. I've gone too far. I've I've just taken my life in a direction that is impossible to be turned around. And then you look at these situations and you discover all throughout the Scriptures, what you discover is that God interjects Himself in human situations and He delights to do impossible things because what He's trying to prompt from you and me is genuine faith. He wants us to be able to look at some of these things and to be able to say, you know what, there is no way this could have happened if God Himself had not intervened. That's exactly what's taking place in Mary's life and it's a great testimony to you and to me that this is exactly how God operates in the lives of humanity. He does the things that we think are impossible. Don't be, too, don't be too surprised when the plan of God seems impossible to carry out, because oftentimes that's exactly how He functions. But when you think about the plan of God, also understand this. The plan of God isn't something that He's only revealed in recent times. In fact, the plan of God was revealed long before He carried out what he, what he uh, demonstrated in Luke chapter 1 and what he's doing in our present day. In fact, when you go back a long period of time prior to Luke chapter 1's events taking place, you realize that God revealed his plan long before he carried it out. And you see this spoken of in the book of Isaiah. You have the prophet Isaiah speaking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And he speaks about it this way. He says, for to us, a child is born. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before these things came to, came to pass. But he says, for to us, a child is born. To us, 
A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a beautiful portion of Scripture and something that certainly encourages my heart, and I hope it encourages your heart as well. But you have Isaiah here giving us very specific details regarding the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and the nature of Christ when you look at that passage. He tells us that that a child would be born among the people of Israel, and he would be a son who was given as a gift of grace. He also says in time the government would be upon his shoulder that he would be one who would rule with peace and benevolence, which would stand in stark contrast to the foreign nations that invaded and oppressed Israel at different times throughout the course of their history, and and many of those things happening in the the, the period of time in which Isaiah was was, uh, accomplishing his ministry. And the Scripture speaks of both Christ's humanity and his divinity when you look at what Isaiah says here in this passage. So in addition to being born as a child, we're also told that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. Do you think of Christ as that this evening, our wonderful counselor? The idea here is that he would be an advocate or one who pleads our case while at the same time also inspiring awe from us. He's our wonderful counselor. He's also called mighty God. So that's something to keep in mind related to Jesus. He's called mighty God. Jesus is God incarnate, God having taken on flesh He's likewise referred to as Everlasting Father. This is a way of telling us that He is the Father or the source of eternal life. That's what that term literally means. And Christ is also described in Isaiah's passage as the Prince of Peace. Through Him, our souls and this world will find the peace that we cannot find anywhere else. And just as Jesus has promised to literally and visibly reign on this earth, at some future point. We'll see that portion of Scripture fulfilled to the furthest degree at some future point. He also desires to reign with justice and righteousness in our lives right now at this very moment. Not just future, but right now in our lives at this very moment. The way I look at it, it's like this. Somebody's calling the shots in your life. Someone's calling the shots in my life. Someone sits on the throne of your heart. Someone sits on the throne of my heart. Is it Jesus or is it someone else? You know who for for most people on this earth is sitting squarely on the throne of a person's heart? For most people, it's themselves. Most people desire to sit on the throne of their own heart. Most people desire to be the one calling the shots. Most people desire to be the one who is ruling and reigning and making the decisions. And then you look at this portion of Scripture, and it talks about the fact that, look, Jesus is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. I would rather Him ruling and reigning on my heart than me, because I can only see limited things. You can only see limited things, but Christ can ultimately see the things that we can't see, and He rules with peace. He rules with benevolence, and He does that for all who trust in Him. But there's one other thing I want to point out to us this evening. And I want to take us right back to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, when you look at verses 37 and 38, it tells us that that ultimately we can find rest in submitting our life and our plans to God's will. You know, we're thinking about the fact that God has His plan that is unfolding, that He's accomplishing, 
But if our hearts are going to find rest, it's ultimately only going to be through submitting ourselves over to Him, through submitting ourselves over to His will. The way it reads in Luke chapter 1, verses 37 and 38, it says this, For nothing will be impossible with God. Even the things that seem impossible, nothing will be impossible with God. And you have Mary responding yet again to the angel. And the scripture says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isn't that amazing to consider her response? She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Here's the thing. We live in a skeptical era. And I think in some ways that's no different from the eras that have come before us, but I think it's fair to say that the majority of this world does not believe in the claims of Jesus Christ. They don't believe that He was born of a virgin. They don't believe that He is who He says He is and demonstrated that He is. I think most people would place this teaching on par with fables or maybe even fairy tales because they strongly prefer to only believe in what they can see. I think that that is, for many people, their preference, believing in what they can see. And I think that that's why we need God's intervention in our lives for this kind of spiritual blindness that at one point we all wrestled with. For it to be corrected, God has to intervene Himself. I don't think that that's something that we come to an understanding of in our own power. I don't think that I believe these things because there was a day where all of a sudden it just made sense to me. I think the Lord opened my eyes to be able to see it. And if you believe these things, I think that there was a day where the Lord opened your eyes to be able to see it because naturally speaking, it doesn't fall in line with the type of things that we're used to seeing with our own eyes. We need God's intervention in our lives for the kind of spiritual blindness that we all once wrestled with to be corrected. And so the angel proclaimed a truth that would do our hearts good to meditate on when it comes to the miraculous. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, from the world standpoint, from the standpoint of our observable experience, I think we're talking about impossible things. You know, God coming to this earth and taking on flesh, God saving those who were lost in sin. But from the standpoint of the Creator who could speak the universe into existence and breathe life into what He has made, nothing is impossible. And I love when you look at this portion of Scripture and you see Mary's response. She responds in such a special way to this explanation. With very simple faith, she very humbly replies. She just says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She looks at all this and she acknowledges. She's basically saying, Look, I'm not the boss. God is. That's what she's getting at. I'm not the boss. God is. She submitted herself to God's decisions for her life. She had complete peace about God's will being done. And I'll throw that out even just as a question to us. Do we have complete peace about God's will being done? Do we have complete peace about God being the one to be in control? Do we have complete peace that ultimately can only come to us as we have a relationship by faith with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ? Ultimately, if we want to experience peace, that's how it's found. If Christ is on the outskirts of your life, if Christ is one you know about but don't know personally, you'll never experience this peace. And by the way, it's not just Christians that are thinking about where can peace be obtained or how can we obtain peace of mind. I actually came across a study recently, and it had some very interesting, I would say, counseling implications related to peace of mind. 
It was a study that was done by Duke University a few years back. And they wanted to know, how did people find peace of mind? Uh, or or what, were, what were the factors that contributed to emotional and mental stability? Do you like to know some of their findings? All right. I see June's hand. So, June, this is for you. These are the findings from that study. They had eight things. This is what they said will contribute to peace of mind. Tell me if you agree or disagree with their study, if, if you want peace of mind. They said do this. All right. This is what contributes to peace of mind. They said number one on their list is the absence of suspicion and resentment. So if you want to have peace of mind, they're saying, all right, don't go through life just suspicious of people. Don't go through life resenting people. They said, all right, just have the abs- you've got to have the absence of suspicion and resentment. That will contribute to peace of mind. All right, well, that sounds pleasant. That sounds good. I like number one on the list. All right, number two was this, not living in the past. Not living in the past. How often do we live in the past? I think all of us do that to a certain degree. I think I've done that plenty. I could look at certain things and I'm like, all right, that's something that I think I've given way too much time to and way, way too much thought to. I think sometimes when we live in the past, we find it very difficult to forgive things from the past. Guess what? We don't live in the past anymore, uh, you know, physically, relationally. We don't need to live in the past emotionally or mentally as well. But they say number two on their list, not living in the past, that'll contribute to peace of mind. Number three, not wasting time and energy finding, or fighting conditions that you cannot change. That one's a hard one for me. It, I, take a lot, I take a lot of punches before I get to the spot where I realize, you know what, I guess I can't change that. It takes a while for my mind to be convinced. I try and change whatever I don't like, right? But not wasting time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Number four on their list was this. Force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to uh, withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. All right. How about this? Number five. Refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. I might be able to do that on day two. On day one when I get the raw deal, sometimes I start off with a little self-pity. All right, number six on their list is this. Cultivate the old-fashioned virtues of love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. I'll help you find peace of mind. All right. I like it. List is number six. That's a pretty good one. All right, how about this? Number seven. Do not expect too much of yourself. So does that mean that, like, have low expectations? Just have low, like, the lowest? They, they clarify it. They say where there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you've set, feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. Okay, Maybe. But here's the thing I think I liked most on their list. And by the way, I read that list because some of the things are interesting on it, but I don't really think they solve anything related to peace of mind. But I think they're getting real close with number eight. Number eight, they say this. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. If you want peace of mind, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. They said, people who remain overly focused on themselves score lowest in any test for measuring peace of mind. Well, then I look back at what Mary says in this portion of Scripture. And I see her words, and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. What she's saying in making that kind of statement. And again, keep in mind the age Mary was at when she made this statement. She wasn't advanced in years. She was a young person, although I'll tell you what, if you want to see an example of faith, that's typically who you look to. I think you look to older people for wisdom, and you look to younger people oftentimes for faith. And here you have Mary basically saying, as a young person, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your, to your word. What she's saying is, you know what? I'm just going to completely entrust myself to your care, Lord. Whatever the Lord decrees for my life, I'm good with. Whatever he decides, I'm fine with. Whatever his will is, I accept. Now, I wish we could all get to that spot of accepting God's will and God's plan at such an early season of life like Mary demonstrated, but I would suspect that for most of us, it tends to take a little longer. As I look around this room, I see some very young people, and I see people in every age bracket represented. And I would encourage us, regardless of the season of life that we're at, if we're an adult or if we're a child, if we're older or if we're younger, think about what she's saying here, and then just wrestle for a moment with what the implications of this would be for you specifically. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know what the Lord wants you and me to learn throughout the course of our life and through the experiences that he allows us to have? What he's trying to help you and me to do is to trust him and to run to him for safety, to trust him and run to him for refuge, to trust him and run to him for rescue. And when we look at what Christ accomplished when he came to this earth, what he was doing was interjecting himself into the mess that we had made because there was no other solution for us to be rescued. There was no plan B. There was no alternate. There was no other option. The only option was for God himself to come to this earth and take on flesh, to live a life that we couldn't live because we goofed stuff up and he would get it all right. And for him to die on the cross to pay for the sin that we committed because he had no sin of his own, so he paid for ours. And then on the third day, rise from the grave, defeating the power of sin, defeating the power of Satan, and defeating the stranglehold of death. And for you and me, here at this Christmas season, we could look at this story and think about Christ's incarnation from the outside, and saying that's very historically and religiously interesting, and we can know all about it. Or we can respond with the kind of faith that we see demonstrated in Mary's words, where we could say, you know what, Father, I accept the fact that I actually need to be rescued. I accept the fact that I will never find peace of mind apart from your intervention. I accept the fact that on my own I am lost and wandering. And your son, Jesus Christ, is the solution. And Scripture promises us that if we trust in Jesus Christ, if we accept what he has accomplished on our behalf, if we welcome him to be Lord of our lives and Prince of Peace in our lives, he will rescue us. And not only will he rescue you, and not only will he save you, and not only will he give you a new life, he'll make you a brand new person, 
You won't be the person that you once were because he's going to make you a brand new person. And your heart and your mind and your eyes and your ambitions are all going to reflect his. And then he's going to welcome you into his presence for all eternity. But you have to go from being someone who knows about him on the outside to someone who knows him in a familiar and relational way on the inside. And that's his invitation to us. And that's something that I rejoice over the fact that at Christmas time, we have an opportunity to just pause for a minute and say, thank you, Lord, for doing this. And thank you for getting my attention. And thank you for giving me the invitation to trust you, know you, and follow you. I'll tell you what. Scripture reveals to us that there is heavenly activity that takes place the moment a man or a woman trusts in Jesus Christ. Here we see an angel talking to Mary, but Scripture also reveals to us that angels rejoice the moment a heart that's distant from the Lord comes close to Him through faith in Jesus. And again, if you want to impact some activity in heaven, if you want to foster some rejoicing among the angels, I'd invite you to trust in Jesus Christ today and spend your Christmas season rejoicing over the fact that He is who He says He is and He does what He says He does. And he'll give your heart the peace that it longs for. And it won't be temporary and it won't be momentary. It'll be forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this, a variety of Scriptures, really, that we are able to look at together. And to just think about who you are and what you've accomplished on our behalf through your Son, Father, we're just so grateful that you allow us as adults and children to just come together in this place this evening and to read your word together and to think about these things. And that you even put us in a spot where you force us to make a decision, whether to look at you as someone from the outside observing or whether to invite you in to be Lord of our lives. Lord, just as we see in Mary's heart, in her life, in her words, she expressed genuine trust in you. And we pray that you would foster that same kind of trust within us, that we would, that we would trust you as well, that we would recognize that there is no other solution for us other than to receive the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you that your son was sent to this earth. We thank you, Lord, that we could carve out some time to contemplate the reason and the meaning for that. Lord, open our eyes to see the truth. And we pray that we would trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and forever experience the peace that he offers and the relationship that that results in with you for all eternity. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. For more resources to help you in your walk with Christ, please visit DesireJesus.com. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at LifeAudio.com.